Hey everyone, George Edelman, No Film School Podcast. Today we have as our guests, writer-director Channing Godfrey Peoples and her producing partner, Neil Williams. This is a creative team behind Miss Juneteenth, which came out at Sundance 2020 last year. It's available to stream now. It is an incredible film, but it's a really personal story for Channing Godfrey Peoples. And she put it together starting pretty much right out of film school. She was ready to make this movie. She's been building towards it. And her story and Neil's story about putting it together is one I'm sure you'll be able to relate to because it's truly a passion project and a personal story. And they tell us how they put it together, how they surmounted challenges that I honestly, (laughs) I think I've never heard of anyone trying to even do the things they did given what was going on in their lives. Um, But I won't spoil any more of that. I'll let them tell you the story. But given everything that happened in 2020, this film was oddly important in ways they couldn't have predicted. And it does this amazing thing that great films have to do, which is it makes something truly personal relate to people in a universal manner. I don't know how else to put it, but that's the core behind what made Miss Juneteenth pop. It's about important stuff at a particularly important time But it's so personal that it's not preachy. And we get into all the corners of that, how they feel about it, how it weighed on them, how they approached it, how they managed expectations, and how they pushed through. Because as we all know, making an indie feature is never easy. The world does not want you to succeed doing that. You really have to work it. And they did. So here's their story. I really want to talk to you guys about your careers, your work, Miss Juneteenth, everything that's going on, and how, in a weird way, the timing of all of it, right? Because the movie hit the world in 2020, which was one of the craziest years, right? So, <laughs> so, um, but I guess I want to start further back than that because you met at USC grad school, right? We did. Both Neil and I were there. Um, or I, I was a little bit ahead of you, Neil. Right. And um, we met when I was working on my thesis film, which um, coincidentally was shot in the same community in which Miss Juneteenth was shot. And so I was away in Texas working on that film. And then when I came back um, for post, I met Neil, who um, was working on a mid-level project at that time. And um, I was actually looking for someone to come on as an editor. And Neil came on as an editor. And then um, what we discovered was we had, well, I think even before you came on as an editor, we discovered that we were both making similar type stories in that we were making stories about um, Black folks, you know, a lot of times in the South that often had a historical and definitely a cultural component. You know, it was really great because it was like finding someone in film school who had, who was like-minded, you know, and we also, I think, had a great respect for each other's taste. And and to piggyback on that a bit, the way uh, USC is set up at the grad school level, you have to work on a thesis film before you can make your thesis. Yeah. And so I was looking for a thesis narrative film to work on, and I had heard great things about Channing, 
prior to us meeting because she had made a great documentary about funeral home traditions in Fort Worth, Texas, believe it or not, which connects to Miss Juneteenth in some way. Yeah. And so we were, um, I'd seen that film. Our teacher showed it to me about a year earlier when I first got to USC. So I was like, oh, who's Channing? I can't wait to meet her. Can't wait to meet her. And so we ended up meeting and found a project to work on together. And it's kind of been us working together ever since. Right. I think we found our, or I, I can speak for myself. I found my ideal creative partnership. We we then went on to kind of jump back and forth on each other's projects. I um, produced Neil Stees' film, which is this really beautiful film about a jazz musician that's navigating epilepsy. And, you know, we, as I mentioned earlier, we just, I think... Um, had a great respect for the kind of stories that we were telling. And, and and one of the things I think they had in common was that they were very specific stories about the humanity of Black folks. Yeah. What years, what were your years? I ask because while I didn't go to USC grad school, I produced a couple thesis films because I had friends there in the program. So I, I became very familiar with the process. And, and actually, my co-host, uh, Charles Hain, who's on our weekly podcast, went too. And so we often talk about the, I can't remember the course names, but like the 202s or you know, the, the various projects you take in, in the grad program. So as you guys are talking about, you know, I always thought one of the cool things about the USC grad school program is that you can't, what you just said, Neil, is that you can't make your thesis film unless you play a role in a crew on someone's thesis film. And it becomes this cool work exchange where you're like, you kind of develop those secondary skills. Like, well, maybe I'm a good producer or maybe I'm a good editor or maybe like, what can I do? I had a friend who was always a production designer on people's thesis films, um, building sets in the studio and stuff. So, um, but that's cool. When were you guys there? Um, I finished in 2011. And I'm finished 2013. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was, it was like kind of around the same time, but probably professors or students who crossed similar paths. Did you shoot your um, thesis films on film or were you already into the digital era by then? Uh, I shot my thesis film on Super 16. And I was actually uh, digital for me. So that was a, a yeah. change. <laughs> yeah. That, I feel like you were guys were right there. Because what I remember is going to you would pitch Kodak on why they should yeah. give you your film, right? <laughs> yeah, so the crazy thing as an aside is that when I entered the film school, it literally was the year they changed the curriculum. So I was, I think, one of the first classes to have a new all-digital curriculum, and Channing was one of the last classes to have the all-film curriculum. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. You also had, like, the fancy newer film yeah. school. <laughs> yeah, I was one of oh. the- the new buildings <laughs> all the beautiful buildings that came yes. up yeah so we have like remember. different experiences at sc in a way but very similar but yeah yeah, yeah. i mean i i actually speaking of thesis films my, my ideas about going to usc actually started in a usc thesis film but as an actor really um, yes <laughs> that's interesting so, so um you know, I, when I started, I started, and I'm kind of going way back, I started in community theater. There was a small community theater in the neighborhood in which I shot Miss Juneteenth, coincidentally called Sojourner True. <laughs> and um, yeah. my mom would take us there because she was interested in the arts. And um, I really fell in love with storytelling and I fell in love with acting because that's what I could see. I really didn't see an infrastructure for film early on in my life. I didn't see it as kind of a viable um, 
job that, you know, young black girls in Texas um, could do. You know, I didn't see a lot of examples. Um, Neil, I think on the other hand, wanted to be a filmmaker from an early age, but I'll let you tell you. No, of course, yeah. So I said that I wanted to be an actor. And so after college, um, I majored in theater. And after college, I did. Where'd you go to college? Baylor University um, in Waco, Texas. And um, I kind of, I went out to California after college and dipped my toe in the water. And I really wasn't seeing kind of like the complex, you know, kind of nuanced roles for Black women that I had in my head, you know, like I grew up with the literary greats. Like I loved reading. So I read like Toni Morrison and Alice Walker and like Gloria Nile or women like that. And they really created complex roles for black women. And so, you know, those were the kind of ideas. I was like, those are the kind of roles I want to play. So when I went out to California, um, (laughs) (laughs) it's just like such a stark contrast to what the reality is. Right. (laughs) It's like a completely stark contrast. You know, I think I was definitely naive, but I tended towards like, independent film and, you know, USC thesis films, people are, you know, experimenting in a way, finding their voices or either affirming their voices. So I ended up in a thesis film about a Black woman who was a poet, who was uh, um, honestly navigating motherhood herself. And um, I found myself falling in love with everything that was happening Um, behind the camera. Like it was, you know, a small group of students. It was, you know, bigger than a lighting kit because it's a thesis film, obviously. But, you know, it made, um, it was a, it was a small amount of lighting, a camera, you know, like it made everything look accessible to me. And I was like, wow, you know, maybe that's a way in for me. Maybe that's a way in which I could tell these stories that I have rumbling around in my head. It made things look accessible. And then, I mean, I want to go to Neil because I want to hear where his inspirations came from and started. But then, like, getting into USC graduate school for film is is like winning a lottery, essentially. Like, it's real hard. So, like, knowing it as an actor, how did you – and you thought, like, oh, I, could, I want to do this. Did you only apply to USC? Were you surprised to get in? How, how did you – yeah, tell me about that. Yeah, so here goes my um... – stubborn Texas woman's sense of adventure coming through again, because I think it was partly that, and then also partly naivete. I, you know, didn't investigate how hard it is, how it is. like didn't look at the odds. (laughs) How it is like winning the lotto. And, you know, gratefully, um, USC has this mandate that says they want storytellers and people that can come in and be able to tell a story you know, at that time, whether you had the technical acumen or not. And I certainly did not have the technical acumen. I think my experience in picking a camera up was like a consumer camcorder or something like that. Um, But I coincidentally wrote a treatment, which was, you know, based on a personal story and um, interviewed with them. And I got in. It was the only place I applied. My fallback plan was um, I'd had experience kind of you know, teaching in an enrichment sort of way, you know, like a theater class or, you know, working with young kids or either with high school students in a theater capacity. But, um, you know, and I said, well, if I don't get in USC, you know, I'll go back home and like teach full time. I don't even know how great I was at it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, hopefully I would have been, you know, because um, I love working with young folks, but, you know, it was just a special thing. And, that experience really, I think, going to USC changed my life. Sure. And the crazy thing is, 
winning USC is tough or getting into USC is tough. Sorry. Getting out of USC and, and directing a movie is also really hard. And like getting into the Sundance program and everything that would follow forth for you um, are all really challenging things to achieve. But yeah, you're, it's a great point. USC is very, they're very mindful, I think, about making sure they prioritize people with stories to tell that come from a real place and don't necessarily have a lot of experience already using cameras. They want to teach you that part. They want you to come with with a story to tell. Yeah, I think, the, and they mentioned that they say, you know, the technical acumen will catch up, you know, um, and just focus on story. And I knew I was doing really like um, character pieces, you know, and so yeah. it was a great place for me to be. But I think Neil, on the other hand, as I mentioned earlier, he did have more of the technical acumen and, you know. Um, but- yeah, where did you grow up, Neil? Where did you, where did your first inspiration for wanting to be a filmmaker come from? Okay, you're going to laugh, but... um I think the Little Mermaid was a big <laughs> influence for me. Was it the it's a really good movie. Yeah, it I mean, is. it is. It is a really good movie. Because, you know, when I was really young, like six, seven years old, I remember I'd go to the movie theater and I would just like be really impressed with like how movies were made. I remember I'd look at the projecting booth sometimes, like after seeing a movie once or twice in the theater, just like how are they making the movie? Like where are the movies made? Like how does this? Where does this come from? And so I spent a lot of time from like six and seven, even I'm, I remember six years old, like first grade, um, like there's a reading rainbow book that showed the whole process of how movies are made. I was watching Disney behind the scene features, like cartoons were what I was watching. And mm-hmm. so I was like, how do you make cartoons? And then I got older. It was like, oh, wait, how do they shoot this? Like I'm in North Carolina. So I remember Richie Rich was shot in Asheville. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like Richie Rich is being made over there. Like, we, how do they do that? And so it was always this, how do you, how do you, how do you? And it wasn't until I think I was in high school. Um, that I actually, you know, School of the Arts in North Carolina is like uh, their film school. A lot of great people have come from there. Um, it was kind of still evolving when I was coming up. So I took some high school classes, like summer school classes there. And that was my first formal like film education. And I just loved it. But I'll tell you honest, you know, while I felt like I did have an example, like I did see people making movies, you know, because this film school was there. I didn't know how you made a career doing it. So I was like, very much like, okay, well, I need to get a general education and, you know, study a bunch of things, see what else I'm interested in. And it wasn't until college when I realized, like, when I'm not making movies, life doesn't make sense. Uh, that was like, this is what I have to do. So and then I went to grad school and, you know, the rest is kind of still, you know, evolving. But that that was my journey. For sure. This is great, George, that you're pulling hit this out of him because some of this I did not know. <laughs> <laughs> That's OK. Be careful then, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, but like what? So, it, it, you know, you you've. You were editing with Channing. You you shot a feature. So what? And you've been producing. And you guys have obvi- you have a creative partnership. You're uh, it's a producer director writer director partnership. Can you both kind of tell us all a little bit about how that evolves? What's the give and take? You know, and 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 how you work together. And and maybe Miss Juneteenth is a good example because I imagine you could take me back to like you know you're done at. USC, I think Channing, you go to this. Do you, did you do something with the Sundance program and sort of workshop Miss Juneteenth and then get the feature done? I did. I went through um, the Sundance. They have the Sundance intensives, actually. And I did um, the writing intensive and then later on the directing intensive. And then Neil would go on to do in 2017 the Sundance Creative Producing Lab. You know, Neil had this interesting idea. Um, 
after we finished school. And I think you were actually still in school when we started kind of an right. impromptu writing group. You know, it was like just us and a couple of friends, right. you know, in order for us to kind of focus on what we would want our first features to be. And, you know, mine was, I was having ideas for it earlier, but mine was Miss Juneteenth. I had taken, Neil mentioned earlier, I'd done a documentary and I'd taken it like a documentary mid-level course. And one of the things that came out of that course was um, you go in and they just have you kind of go through a process of ideation. You just write down like tons of ideas. And I remember, you know, discussing Miss Juneteenth and even in casual conversations of, you know, um, in the summers when Juneteenth, you know, around Juneteenth, I tell people happy Juneteenth and they just kind of look at me curiously. You know, I figured out that people really didn't get what Juneteenth was <laughs> you know, outside of Texas. And that was mind boggling for me because it was just such a big part of like my growing up, you know, it was like a part of the fabric of like my, my childhood through adulthood, actually. And so Neil had this idea, you know, we did this impromptu writing group. And then he said, as we got further along, you know, with Miss Juneteenth and then Neil had his own particular script, he said, well, you're further along with Miss Juneteenth. Let's just submit it to um, different like development programs. And even if we don't get in, you know, hopefully they'll give us notes <laughs> and we can, you know, that'll help us, you know, strengthen the script, you know, and get kind of an idea of how people see the script. And that was so helpful for us, you know, because we went through like um, Austin Film Society, which is um, founded by Richard Linklater, who's wonderful. Um, you know, the Sundance Intensives and the Creative Producing Lab, as I've mentioned, and then San Francisco Film was greatly helpful to us Westridge as well. Westridge Foundation and Rain. And we also um, submitted to different can competitions. You, yeah, like can Mo you guys Club. tell me about, this is the part that I think is so useful. So I'm sorry to cut you off there. No, no, but there's, no, for, our, for our audience, there's going to be that, like, what do I do when yeah. and how do I make the like connections right. between those moments. And you guys are talking about what feels like such an important inflection point for you, which was the like, okay, we've done this much. We've learned this much. We have this idea that we're excited about. We have the script, but like that decision to like apply to a bunch of those kinds of programs and get notes and feedback. Like, can you like explain a little more about like, how did you get all the notes you needed? And like, and was it hard to get him the feedback and get into those programs and all of that stuff? Like what connects those little dots? Like, I just have one thing to say, then I'm going to pass it to you because I think you'll be more, um, I think you'll, you'll be more thorough and being able to discuss that. Let me just say that when we applied to these programs, we did it with this sense of like, we were going to make the movie no matter what, even if it was going to be, I had conceived of it in the very neighborhood that I grew up in, which mean we had meant we had access to the locations and things like that. You know, the locations like the bar and the funeral home are owned by family friends. <laughs> you know, I, I wrote around my upbringing. And so even if we had to get a iPhone, you know, at that time, I think um, Soderbergh had just done the film that was on Netflix, High Flying Bird, I right. think. And so, and that was shot with like an iPhone. So that was inspiring, <laughs> you know. And uh, That then, was so good. And I saw that at Slamdance and I just remember seeing it and being like, this is so good. <laughs> but anyway, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I may have, you know, mixed up the times, but whenever it came out, it was inspirational. But 
you know, or we had a 7D that right, we right. bought together, you know, we were like, uh, yeah. And so we were out in the community hustling ourselves, you know, like may, making a little mood reel with our 7D. I was standing in his turquoise, you know, walking around the bar with a crown on my head when Neil was, you know, had the camera. Like, yeah, <laughs> we were doing everything that we, you know, you know, we're, we were trying to push the film forward, basically. Got it. Then, okay. That know, makes sense. You yeah. were going to make this movie no matter what. And you yeah. made a plan around how to make this movie. So this submitting for the notes was like, how do we get, was it a combination of like, how do we get as many people in our corner? Or was it also just a genuine, like, I want this thing to be the best it can be. And I'll take any notes I can get. I know Neil felt the latter. And then I'm going to pass it to you because- yeah. So, I mean, the big thing, it was it was wanting to make it the best it could be uh, for us. Like when we were in L.A., we lived in L.A. up until 2014, at which point we were like, hey, you know, I just finished film school. Like, let's get to Texas and really sink our teeth into making the movie. And like Channing said, we wanted to make it no matter what. In fact, we, you know, back to your point earlier about wanting to focus on storytelling. We were like, we just need to get this story out of us. And hopefully, you know, we can tell other stories. But it was really just this needs to be our kind of film that says this is what we want to make right and that was the spirit of it so like Channing said we wanted to do it however we needed to iPhones 70s whatever and yet when we started in Texas that first summer we started doing like you know local casting and everything else we were just like is this the strongest script it can be is this the strongest film it can be and so from that kind of question we just sent it to organizations um, obviously nonprofits, but also competitions like American Zotrope and, and the Nichols Fellowships and to be candid, we really tried to focus on organizations that offered feedback. So even if you don't win the award, like you can pay extra and get like, you know, objective feedback from someone. So that was like our approach of like, while we're working on this movie, let's do that. And fortunately, you know, Channing would place in Nichols um, and she would place in American Zotrope. And those things all were helpful because it kind of raised the profile of the project. And then we could also apply to the Sundances like we did. And they would say, OK, look, like we can help you with this or give you feedback. So it was great because, you know, we were being, we were giving notes, we were, we were getting notes from people who didn't know who we were and frankly didn't care if yeah. the movie was good or not. Like they just were like, this works, this doesn't. So that was, I was in, I was in search of that. I was very hungry for that. Um, and I think Channing was too. So that's what we were looking for. And frankly, from that, like we would later find our collaborators and we would find uh, supporters and obviously granting at certain points through San Francisco Films, Westridge Foundation, Iranian Foundation. So it, it's funny because you said, hey, did we do this to get more people on our corner? That was definitely the, the byproduct of it for sure. But it first started from what's the best version of the movie? How do we pursue you know, excellence as far as like trying to make the best version of this movie? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's, uh, I think, an important point for everyone that that it's it's not always easy to get notes or feedback, especially when you're younger and you're confident in what you're doing or in what the purpose of your story is. But if you want it to be better you have to listen. And now I kind of want to pivot to like, because this is a, this is an important story. It's told only the way you can. And it's, it's got personal elements. Like you built it around your world, like you shot it in your world on purpose, but also, I mean, it's, it's amazing how you thread the needle of it, of it. it's historical importance, but also without being grandstanding, I guess you would say, which, which isn't even a bad thing, but it's just it's impressive. But when you're getting notes from people who say live in the world of scripts in Hollywood and stuff, is there ever a part at any point? Is it tricky? Cause it's like, well, you don't know the world that like, this is, this is what's, a, how do you differentiate when you're like, no, this is important because this is what I know. 
with authority of my voice. And that, yeah, you're right about how screenplays need to work. Does that question make sense? <laughs> totally. So I'm going to let okay. you answer that because she wrote the screenplay. But I have to say one thing as a producer. I think the job of a producer is to protect the vision of your filmmaker. And I think with Channing, uh, I spent time with her. Um, and we later would bring on collaborators as well. But we, I'd spent time with her. who, And I knew what the culture felt like, what the city, what the place looked like. I felt I knew her intentions very well. So we get feedback from all over the you know country, people from New York, L.A., folks who never have sat, set foot in like that bar in Texas. And what I started listening for, and obviously I went to Channing, was like what emotionally seems to resonate with people from all different sides of the country, right? Like if, if someone says, hey, no one would play this song that you joined, it's like, well, you know, if you've not been there, then we can't really have, you know, we can't, there's nothing I can say to convince you otherwise. But do you relate to someone who is like scrubbing a toilet and you just saw that she was like, a, a, a you know, crown the queen like if you can then that needs to stay you know so mm -hmm. those things became how i looked at it but channing obviously wrote it so she's gonna no but i mean what neil is saying is is saying what i was gonna say in a lot of ways um but i just have to add to you know neil just revealed it in his own way he was my secret sauce because <laughs> not only <laughs> was he my you know creative partner but he's my he was my trusted person you know and he was like there like he knew my work you know we were familiar with the, each other's work had worked together a long time you know he knew my voice and so he was there all along you know protecting the vision you know in many ways also i had the benefit of neil being a writer director himself you know so he was also looking at it from that perspective so i was entirely you know, grateful, you know, to have him on board because I think that was really helpful in um, protecting the world. He also, you know, relocated with me to Texas, <laughs> which is very, very different than Los Angeles where we met and or North Carolina where he grew up in, you know, and so he got to yeah. know the community in his own way, but he also had the sense of being um, outside of the community. So there were things that he would pick up on, you know, that you know, even if they felt too insular, he'd say, we have to find a way, like we never really explained anything. Right. I don't think, no. you know, I think I really, I have this inside out approach as a um, filmmaker, you know, everything like I was informed by the community and there was this atmosphere that inspired me and the people of the community inspired me. And so I literally am always reaching for, um, to portray things as authentically as possible. I'm always like reaching for authenticity. And um, so that informed the film in every single way, you know, from building the characters to, you know, shooting on location and portraying the world, you know, like even little things that you see in the film, like the salting of the beer, people bring that up a lot. That was seen in that bar. That's, that's what people do. You know, um, none of those details were made up. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, I mean, in this climate, both culturally, but in terms of what's happening in, in mainstream movie making and filmmaking, a movie like this, it has to be really, really good. Like, <laughs> you know, that's the thing, like for it to get through because it's hard to get and to cut through the noise, you know, like if just telling a, a good story about people um, is not easy to get attention or to, or to crack through really. So you have to do it right. And that's kind of the, that's the crazy thing about it. But 
I think that attention to detail probably is part of what 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 grabs people because we hear so often if we're talking to producers or festival programmers, they'll talk about they're looking for voice, authenticity, realness, or or something a story that comes from someone's experience. So I think that's where, if because you, you really dug into it, I mean, I get the sense that that's part of what people responded to. Um, yes. Did you did you know that like pursuing it? No, I, you know Neil is gonna probably give me the eye because I <laughs> I had written it, you know, in this place I grew up. I didn't know if if people would respond to it outside of the neighborhood. Well, I'd say this: I'm an outsider, frankly, you know, because I'm not from that part of the country. I'm not from Texas. Mm-hmm. I'd never been to Texas, frankly, until I met Channing, and so it was strange to me because I. I found myself really relating to a lot of the specificity of the world and the characters who were just really trying earnestly to achieve whatever, a better life or just a better understanding of where they were in their life. And I could relate to that. And I was thinking, hey, if we can make a movie that's rooted in that and continue to just hone in on that, I think we could make something special. But the goal was always like from the notes to even our collaborators who I'd love to shout out at some point here. um, I think we all were on the same page of like Channing has this unique voice and unique story. And we just want to kind of uh, support that and give her the tools to continue to explore that. Um, So that was where I was coming from. I felt that it could be a special story if we really dug our feet in and and made it. So now you know who who had the grand plan. because. (laughs) (laughs) But but there's something about the specific that can become universal. That's the crazy thing, right? And that's what you're talking about is you were like, I'd never been there, but I could relate on some level. And I think that when you do that, that's kind of like the breakthrough because then people can see the world from a different perspective for the first time, right? Because they can relate to it. Did I mean? Did you know? Did you know about Juneteenth? Like, what was your knowledge of the whole surrounding culture, the pageant, all that going into it, or was a lot of it new to you, Neil, when you well, read her script? Yeah, what's so crazy is uh, I knew I had known of Juneteenth. I'd heard about it back when I was a teenager in North Carolina, and it was sounded like okay, cool. It sounds like a really important piece of history, but. I knew nothing about how the extent to which it was celebrated mm-hmm. in Texas with mm-hmm. the pageants and the parades. And we were not doing that in the version of North Carolina I was in. I did not see that, you know, but this was a decade and plus ago, right? That I remember uh, the celebrations in North Carolina. The pageant never knew there was a Miss Juneteenth pageant, frankly, until talking to Channing about this film. And when I saw that, I just was like, this is perfect to me. It's like, <laughs> you know, you were taking this historical. A event and you have a pageant that's looking toward the future with these young ladies and you also have characters as in the script who uh you know that are dealing with their own feelings of second chances and did they meet their expectations it just was this beautiful kind of blend mm-hmm. of all these different mm-hmm. themes and I'm, i was just like this movie's really exciting i i am not a pageant person to be candid like i'm not watching every pageant movie necessarily just because it's a pageant film but there but when i say this film really connected with me was I saw that history and the presence and the future and people and it was literally people navigating this story, the characters that Channing had created, the depth at which they were operating, navigating the story. That was just like, wow, this could be special if it gets out. And that's why I wanted to make the movie. <laughs> hey, it's 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Sundance, like 2020, right? So jumping forward a little bit, like, it's kind of crazy. I was... I think I was there. That was like one of the last in-person events, right? Yeah. <laughs> in, the, right. in the world, yeah. you guys were there, I assume, right? Yeah, a decade yeah. ago. Yeah, we were there. Yes, we were right. There. It feels like a very long time ago, but it was. And so what happened? What was that like? I mean, I always want to ask filmmakers, like you make a movie, blood, sweat, tears, like a personal story. It goes to Sundance. That's amazing. And then you're there with this film. And sometimes people are there with the film and they don't get distribution or, or like other crazy things happen. So what can you tell us about your experience and what guided it? Yes, it's going to it's going to involve me circling back just a little bit, because like I was smiling when I was listening to Neil, you know, kind of talk about why he was invested in the film, because like I had such tunnel vision the whole way, <laughs> just because the film is like so personal, as you mentioned, it was just like, you know, like laying my soul bare. It, it was like turquoise yeah. in particular, the lead character is really based on like the women in my life, like in the community, in my family, you know, um, myself, I'm telling on myself. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but you know, I really, most especially I'd written it from this perspective of like watching my mom, you know, juggle her own, you know, um, dreams and trying to balance raising children at the same time. And, you know, one of the things that, that I saw that I think stayed with me about the people in my community and especially the women was they had like this grit about them, this like sense of determination, but like they always carried themselves with grace. And so I was always um, seeking to bring that into the role of turquoise. You know, when I say the film is personal, like, you know, I, I just mentioned my mom, you know, I really had written it from the perspective of watching her. She had been single for much of my life, but like right around the time I found out we were going to be able to make the film, I found out I was going to become a mom myself. <laughs> and wow. um, oh my, I didn't realize that the timing. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That must've been rough. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was, it was, it was quite a journey. And um, I found out of course, a little bit later than that, that I would have a daughter. So it was like, you know, art imitating life. So all of this is happening, you know, as the film is happening, you know, both of us were parents, first time parents on set together, you know, juggling <laughs> you wow. know, um, an infant, our daughter turned one on set. So, you know, oh when, when you that's ask, crazy. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's crazy. <laughs> no, no, it, 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 it often was like, you know, any little money that, you know, these independent films, you don't make much, you don't go into them to make money, you know, but anything, no. got, it went to a sitter, you know, just to hold the baby so that in between takes, I could run back and break 
breastfeed, you know? And then if the sitter called out or for whatever reason, you know, we didn't have childcare, she would be in the baby carry on either my chest or Neil's chest. (laughs) One of the funniest stories was when we were doing um, a scene between Turquoise and Ronnie when they're dancing in the bar. Um, that day, I think you had the baby in the baby carrier. Right. And, um, you know, I tend to, um, you know, now I'm telling on myself, I, I appreciate I appreciate long takes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm always looking for those little human moments um, right at the end of a take, you know. <laughs> um, and, and so I think this was a long take and I think baby was tired of the take that day and cried out. And then it was like, okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) She called cut. So she was, she was very much in the process, you know, but basically I, I, that whole, I had to go back that whole long way to say, you know, that's where my head was in making the film. You know, it was very much a, we were, we had developed this film over seven years. I'd literally been, imagining this film in my head over seven years and building all the tools in which to make the film, you know, just like collecting visuals and like um, searching for creatives. And, you know, I had shot list the film well in advance. Of course, things changed, you know, Um, we had been in Texas running around finding locations. So by the time we got to Sundance and I realized that the film was actually going to be screened for the world, I went, oh, wow. (laughs) You know, they I'd been I'd had tunnel vision for so long. And the thing I think is kind of crazy is like getting into Sundance was amazing, and it was like a dream come true. Uh, it didn't occur to me there was even a whole like people would be reviewing your movie, and that didn't occur things. to you. It, I, I, I thought I was. <laughs> like, it's funny because we were just making the movie, and then I remember the film's over. And I'm like, cool, like this premiere's over. I'm like, cool, okay, let's go see some other films. Let's hang out. And then people are like, oh, reviews should be coming in. I'm like, what reviews? Like, what what are they going to review? Like, why do you? Oh wait, the people review your. Oh yeah, like of course they do that. I just was so like not even thinking about that that it was so. Did you guys have a sales agent oh, when yeah. you came in? This... Yeah? yeah. Okay. Yeah, so you agent. weren't as so you had all that. I, I you know I there's now so many things I want to ask and I'm just blown away that you did it with a baby, a newborn. It's um that's like the craziest time in a person's life usually, at least in my experience, is like a firstborn. And to have to be also making your first feature, I mean, it's serendipitous, but it's also insane, um, but amazing. Insane and just like, I can't believe you pulled it off, but but um, there's so much going on there. Um, and I love the stories when we talk to filmmakers who are like, got to put it all out on the line. Like, you know, you got to go and do everything and hope for the best. But I'm curious, like, because a sales agent, how did you guys get the budget? Like, what were the keys to securing the budget for the film. Now I, ha- I have to circle back to that because once we're talking about Sundance and sales agents. Perfect. We had a sales agent, but I just want to, we didn't have, I didn't have an agent at that time. Right. We both, okay. yeah. we, we have a manager that we share now, but we had no manager. We'd had no personal representation, just a sales agent. Right. We Channing went to Sundance, no agent, no manager. And she had a lawyer and um, she signed with her team, uh, agents after. and managers after Sundance. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, right. and frankly, I think that was a choice because Channing wanted, it was very important to Channing that a film comes out in the way that she saw and that people could kind of meet her like, this is a movie I made, you know? Yeah, because yeah. I think people yeah. had a different idea initially of the film right. or, you know, because you just never know. You don't know people's specific, like, 
tone or pace right. and things like that. And people heard just like, um, <laughs> you know, Juneteenth and Black Cowboys and, <laughs> you know, parades and song and dance. And so I needed people to see, you know, this atmosphere and the pace and tone in which I was, you know, um, taking on to tell the story. I was going to say, I think that's really smart. And I would just highlight for the for anyone listening, our listeners out there, that that like sometimes having the agent and manager before is going to influence the work. And sometimes you don't want that. <laughs> so you told your story without that. In Like you told the story you wanted to tell. And then it was like they, they come to you saying like, oh, I want to represent the person telling that story. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Totally. And I'm so grateful that you asked about how the film came together. Uh, Cause it gives me a chance to talk about uh, some of our collaborators here. So like Channing said, we spent, you know, coming out of film school, we started working on this project. And as we were sending it out to, you know, different organizations, Sundance being one of them, uh, we connected back with Sundance and I went to, I believe it was Michelle Satter and um, was just basically like, Hey, I need help producing this to get it to the level I think it deserves. And uh, she connected me to Ann Lai, who then connected, me to a bunch of other producers who had been in Texas. And one of the ones that we had actually been fans of their work previously was Sailor Bear, which is uh, James Johnston, Toby Hallbrooks, and David Lowry. And they came on the project um, pretty early on, I'd say, and helped with the development of the idea, um, helped us process all the notes we were getting. Um, really kind of, and they, they both are also all in Texas, all in Fort Worth. So they were very familiar with that community. Um, and so they jumped on the project and uh, we kept developing it. And then uh, they brought financing for the film. So that's how we got our budget for the movie. Um, and then we rounded out our team and the financing came from Leyline Entertainment. And then finan- the, we rounded out our team with um, Jeannie Igo, who uh, came on as our uh, line producer and produced the film as well. So that's kind of how the whole team came together. Um, the budget came together. And, uh, you know, I think one of the big things I want to make a point about is that the lesson I learned in all this is that you're, especially with these nonprofits, is you're learning how to communicate the unseen. Like you're trying to tell people, this is what the movie's going to look like. No, I haven't made it yet. No, I may not have a body of work yet, but Mm -hmm. this is what this movie looks like. And so finding those partners creatively who will take that journey with you is super important. And that's one of the big things I think I learned on this journey of making Miss Juneteenth. It's got to be so hard. I mean, it is so hard, right, for people to find producers and and backers and financing for a movie. Like, what do you think were the key elements for you in getting the movie the way you believe the movie should have been told, financed? Like, what were the like? If you could just highlight a few things that were like, this is what I think helped the most. I mean, you met the right people, but but how did you get? You know, like how did you get them on board? I think the script. Yeah, the scripts. Channing scripts. Was helpful. And the script was very explicit. (laughs) I'm a stickler for details, so much so. I have a wonderful friend who said, oh, Channing, I think there's a novel in you somewhere. (laughs) um, You know, and I don't encourage everybody to do it like that. It's just for me, you know, I have to have things spelled out very clearly on the page. I believe in authentic dialogue and I'm also a stickler for staying closely to the script, especially with Miss Juneteenth, because we had, you know, we were, as Neil mentioned earlier, he was talking about themes and, you know, we were literally um, examining like what freedom meant for each of these characters, you know, um, 
Neil, at one time, you know, we were kind of trying to define the film thematically. And one of the things that we examined, we also examined was, you know, what happens when good things come too late for each of these characters? Because Juneteenth, of course, you know, maybe people, I hope people are more familiar with it now, but it commemorates the day um, in which um, our enslaved ancestors in Texas found out they were free. And unfortunately, that was two and a half years after they were actually free. And so thematically, we were examining that sense of late freedom for each of these characters. So I, you know, script to me is like, there were building blocks that we had in the script. If we lost certain things, I was always too scared that we would, you know, thematically, we would lose something thematically. So, you know, script was, I think, very, very important. And, and back to your point earlier, too, I think that the big thing is, you know, Channing had constructed uh, a nuanced film, a subtle film, and it was always kind of conceived in that way, even at the script form. So I thought it was fascinating to see how different people would react to reading it, agents or managers when we were going out. Um, you know, people would always describe how, yeah, they could feel the heat rising off the page. They felt the Texas heat uh, when reading the script. And, you know, I love that idea because it's very, uh, it feels um, sensual, right? And I think when I'm hearing people say that as opposed to plot point this, plot point that, like it tells me, okay, we're about, I think it tells the reader, you're about to go on an experiential, like subtle film where things may not be, like you said, grandstanding or hit over your head, but you're going to sit with people. And it's the sitting with the people and sitting in the world, I think, I'd like to think that also makes the film feel special because it's like, you know, we're not trying to say, hey, watch this person for X, Y, Z reason, like settle into the mundane a little bit, you know, settle into like the value and just being with somebody living their life and seeing what's important to them. And then so, you know, you had a modest budget and you 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 go to Sundance and then Vertical is the distributor, right? Did that deal come together at Sundance? What was it like? So, yeah, the thing. Yeah. So what happens, um, you know, the sales agents will send it out everywhere. Everybody watches your movie. Our, our premieres were sold out. Um, it was very exciting. And then, you know, we we knew that this was a film that was subtle and it may not be something that someone's like, oh, this is just like XYZ film. Let's make it. Let's, you know, buy it for all the money in the world. Like we were just like, let people sit and find the movie. So we left Sundance with interest from various uh, companies and distributors, but very much like, hey, you know, take your time. Like we believe in this film. It's not, you know, we're not going anywhere you know, we want people to discover the film. So for us, it was as much about like giving time for the conversations to happen naturally. We were again going to play it like South by Southwest, mm -hmm. um, like, you know, opening night film, or we were playing the first night. Um, and uh, we also were playing other festivals. Um, and I think by February or the end of January, we had like festivals all the way lined up till halfway through the year. And that was just like pretty yeah. quickly. Um, so all those things were exciting. We thought that'd be part of our conversation. And and, and it uh, started winning a bunch of awards along right. the way, which is huge, you know, as it goes. It's like playing at all the big festivals, winning awards at the festivals. Right. right. And so with Vertical, like they had been interested from the beginning. And um, we just kind of when we like South by Southwest happened and it was, you know, canceled in the way it was and they pivoted beautifully. Um, but Vertical was on like right before I think South by Southwest actually happened. I think that's around the timeline. But, um, you know, I found in that experience, you're really going for the companies that seem most excited about your film and kind of have a plan. And Vertical's plan was always, you know, released it on June 19th, the 155th anniversary of, 
the you know date that the film's titled after. So. And at that time, yeah. Was, well, how I, how important was that to you guys? That it that how important did you feel like that was to have it be released worldwide streaming on that in that on that day? Honestly, I mean, with I, I mentioned that Tunnel Vision. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't matter. <laughs> I, I never made the movie like it has to come out on June nineteenth. Right. right. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't part of the original plan. <laughs> I was like, we have to make the movie. Right. Like, it, it's so crazy. Yeah. Just yeah, it wasn't like it, the date. It never occurred. It like it didn't really occur to me. I hate to say it until like after the premiere. Kind of, I was like, oh yeah, it, that is on a flight. <laughs> How about that? You know. Um, and it was, I mean, it was special that it did. It right. was absolutely totally special, special that it did. And one of the things that I could say was, you know, we were, um, when we were kind of navigating distributor, you know, one of the things that was super important to me was it was such a community-based film and I wanted the community to have access to it. And that meant some kind of, you know, theatrical distribution. And so that's what I, you know, I voiced my, you know, raised my hand and said, please, you know, try to find a distributor who will give us some kind of theatrical distribution. And I think that was um, yeah. originally the plan. And then the pandemic had different ideas, obviously. Right. And then p- vertical, like everyone, we have to pivot. And, um, you know, I, to their credit and to this whole, you know, the whole industry's credit and everybody adapting we played uh drive-ins we ended up playing yes, drive-ins that was pretty cool and oh that's cool atlanta actually was one of our most uh i think starline drive-in um was one of our like best uh theaters on our release which was great so i mean you know people getting a chance to see it in the summer um is great you know i think what's great about it i mean obviously couldn't have been planned right but having it on the date helped create more awareness to the significance of the date, you know, like, like a lot of people don't like, I think it's helped change. I think in the last year, I think the movie has a lot to do with it. The awareness of what the date means and the significance has grown a lot, which is a nice byproduct, to be honest. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, so uh, it's out. And then I guess you're developing are we, can you talk about what you're developing with it next? Yeah, I mean, I can I can't talk about the specifics, but it's published. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. we are um, we have an adaption of Miss Juneteenth for television in the works with the UCP, and it's actually a first look deal. So there's some other television ideas, you know, that um, I have kind of rumbling around in my head. <laughs> so um, that's where we're going with Juneteenth, and then. Well, let me stop there because that was the extent of the question you asked me. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, what I'm so curious about is, you know, <laughs> you guys had this, I mean, you had the actual baby during shooting, but you had this movie baby during the pandemic. So like then, you know, and stuff's happening and you're going to do a sh- develop a show and there's a first look deal. And I imagine there's a lot of things coming at you and it's a strange time in the industry and in the world. But you know, how do you make the decisions, especially because this is such a personal story for you, Channing, like, how do you, what's on your, how do you guys choose what you're doing next? And like, what are you focusing the energy on? Obviously you have a young child too. Yeah. um, And let me just say about that young child, (laughs) (laughs) because she like, you know, it's interesting how life informs your art because even having her on set, you know, she changed the film 
she did like i mean artistically it realistically and artistically cuz i had a um i think initially i had a much tougher love version of turquoise on paper just having watched my mom as a teen you know like um and then once my daughter was born like there was this moment i have you know and i don't want to sound cliche but hey it just happened where i just you know felt this swell of like joy and this intimate bond I can't even describe here, you know? And I was like, wow, like I saw her and I was like, this is my little person. You know, she's her own person, but she's mine, you know? (laughs) And so I was navigating many of the things that um, were on the page that Turquoise, you know, was navigating in real time, kind of this love for my daughter and this joy I was experiencing, but also, you know, I was terrified, you know, um, we had been starving artists for a long time. And it's like, how do I create the best life for this little child? And so she really informed the film in that way. And um, she brought a lot of joy to the film in this really way I didn't even anticipate or expect. So I really owe that to her. And so I started talking about my daughter and forgot the question. Uh, well, you're making me think of other things I want to ask, but that I, the question was more what you're choosing to do next, really, like how you focus next. And since it was such a personal story. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, obviously I've talked earlier, you know, kind of about rep representation or if I didn't, you know, I'll bring it up here, you know, a big part of like what inspired me is community theater, but it also was, you know, what I felt like was that absence of black women and, you know, really like complex, fully flat, fleshed out roles on screen. You know, I yearn for those, you know, um, Neil just bought Claudine on Blu-ray. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, and that Claudine was one of, you know, the films that I adored because, you know, I got to see Diane Carroll in this really like, in this role in which she could like be full bodied and, you know, fleshed out and have a love interest and all those things. So I want to continue to create roles that center black women and all their complexities. Um, And, you know, of course in my nuanced and subtle way, but I want to continue to do that. And then also the world of Miss Juneteenth are the kind of worlds that I want to see on screen, worlds that are not often seen, you know, unique worlds about the humanity of Black folks, you know, and all our own complexities. You know, I yearn for those. So I'm going to continue to do that kind of work as well. I I wanted to, uh, you know, circle back to the part about your child, because there is something about having kids that changes the way you perceive your own pursuits because you realize there's someone else depending on you in this way that you're artist and perhaps sometimes making decisions for your art and I can speak from experience too becomes a little secondary to like oh like I gotta take care of this person <laughs> right and you had that but you were already like in the thick of it was there like the sense of pressure or like you know like I don't know how this is going to work out, but I have to still do this. And like, what am I going to do next? Cause you, you know, the start from the perspective of being a starving artist for so long, like you said, and then making this feature, but not knowing of course, how that's going to go, you know, not knowing that there's going to be a first look deal on the other end of such. Yeah. I mean, I have to be honest, like there were moments, you know, when I saw my newborn child and there were moments of hesitation when I was like, wow, you know, I just need to stop stop the presses and do everything and just 
wrap my arms around this child. I, you know, I'm kind of like a rough, rough and tumble Texas woman. You know, I'm adventurous, <laughs> have driven back and forth across the country by myself. But when I saw my daughter, I was like, I don't even want her feet to touch the ground. <laughs> like, yeah. I just wanted to take care of her. But ultimately, um, I realized it was very important for her to see her mom realize her dreams or at least go after her dreams. You know, I, that sense of determination that I talked about earlier, that grit that I saw in the women in my life, like I felt like it was important for me to um, be able to show my daughter that as well. And that pushed me forward. Also had, you know, the advantage of having a supportive partner in Neil to say, we can do this, we can do this. Although I don't know that we thought through, you know, from start to finish. <laughs> Neil, did you believe that when you said it or were you saying it partly to convince yourself? Too? <laughs> yeah, I, I believed it. I just, it's crazy. Cause like, I, I just felt like we had started this journey and we needed to finish it. And I thought that at the same time, you know, whatever happens, who knows, like no way that I know Channing would win the best directorial debut from national board of review or the nominations for independent spirits or the Gotham's or the nominations in the win at the Gotham. It's like, no, none of those things I didn't think, you know, I didn't think that far. I would just think, okay, how can we make the best of today and get through today? And, you know, at the very least, like, let's say nothing worked out. We can tell our daughter that we gave our all to pursuing our dreams and hope that we can build a life for her where she can do the same for herself. And I felt like that was what I was motivated by more than like any particular outcome. Um, it's just so, it's just crazy it. because that's like what the movie like that's at the heart of the movie in some way too. So there was so much life imitating art going on. Oh goodness, it's, yes, <laughs> it's so crazy. I don't know. Like I can't. This is probably the most extreme example of that I've ever heard of. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I, that's just. And I keep thinking back to it. Like as you say that, I'm like, and that's also kind of what the movie's about. So <laughs> it's crazy. Here's the thing that gets deeper. It's funny because, and I don't know how funny it is, but I remember when the film came out and then the pandemic started. And I have to just say a caveat. We were so fortunate to have had Sundance at the beginning of 2020 because there's so many filmmakers who, you know, premieres, premieres. didn't have premieres are still figuring it out. So I just wanted to first say that. But when yeah. we go to Sundance and then the pandemic starts, I had this feeling like, well, you know, maybe, you know, it, it took like two and a half years, like the, the Juneteenth celebrates two and a half years of news getting to the enslaved in Texas. Maybe it's going to take a while for people to find, you know, Miss Juneteenth because of, you know, the pandemic and because of the festivals. So like, you know, you talk about art and retaining life. I kind of made peace with this idea that like, you know, it, the film will hopefully get out when it gets out. Um, but like, you know, the pandemic is a bigger priority right now and we need to be mindful of that. And like, you know, we have a, a child and she, you know, it's like, they're real things and like real people and real humanity that mm-hmm. kind of it put things in perspective is my point. And, and then like, the yeah. uprisings happen. And the uprisings happen, right. You know, and uh, Yeah, to say yeah. <laughs> yes. Can you please tell me about how that felt happening with the timing? I mean, the timing, like with the film you have like kind of on deck to be released, and then that happens. Like forgetting the pandemic, forgetting everything else. Like I just I'm fascinated, like from the filmmaker perspective, from the human perspective, what that was like. I mean, I have to speak first to the human perspective, and I'm glad you highlighted that because a lot of times, you know, when I get asked that question, that's my first answer is just as a human being, as a black person in America, like this is happening in real time, you know, 
again, we're back in a moment where, you know, we're navigating our own sense of what survival means in this country. Like as a black person, being able to walk down the street or, you know, being able to be in your own home, you know, without losing your life. And so it was, um, it was a very, very difficult time, you know, to be going through that again with the Breonna Taylors and the George Floyd. And even in the case of the very same community in which we shot the film, um, there was a young woman named Tatiana Jefferson that was, um, killed by the police. In the same community we shot Miss Juneteenth. Right. Right. In, in in her home, I think they were doing some kind of wellness check or something like that. Um, and it, that happened not long after we shot the film. Oh, so it and you had just like and and again like you brought a child, a black woman, into this world, and this was happening. I can't imagine what the emotional impact is like. In I that. Could, it's you. You go ahead. No, you go. <laughs> I don't. I. I can't. I just can't imagine what that emotional impact was. Like. I don't even know what to say. Like I have goosebumps hearing you say that because I was terrified. And you know, it's that moment, and we're new parents. You know, and we have seen this happen in our lifetime over and over again. Our parents absolutely have. You know, who grew up in the civil rights movement. You know, but to see it happening again and again, you know, there is a fear for your own child, you know, you're right, like raising a black child in America. And I think to me, just you know, one of the things that I took from that, the experience, obviously, it was a bittersweet uh, feeling to have your film coming out with this awareness that was happening, because I tell everybody, you know, before we made this movie, no one knew what Juneteenth was. We spent like three minutes always explaining what Juneteenth was. Right. But Juneteenth is an American holiday. It's it's like a fundamental like fabric of this country's history and how we choose to acknowledge it. And the fact that no one knew about it speaks to how we sometimes dismiss certain aspects of our history, right? So uh, it was interesting that there was this new light on it, but it took all these, these uprisings and these tragedies for people to talk not just about Juneteenth, but then also talk about the black experience, but even more so like, what is the soul of this country, right? Like these are the questions that affect every single one, regardless of race, creed, or religion. Like what is the soul of the country and what, what's the version of America we want to give to our children? And I think that's where I'm, I'm really still, you know, asking, you know, these are questions people have asked for centuries in this country, but we obviously had this moment in 2020 when that was like at the forefront. That's beautifully said. It's troubling. It was troubling to watch. And yet, in a way, all of it gave awareness to those of us not in the Black community to what Juneteenth is, um, because it was happening around that time. The movie, having it in the title, honestly, alone, like made some like, huh, what's that? You know, and I think that that those are the little ways that people become more aware and then there's also the big ways and the tragic ways and the awful ways, but it was a kind of a devastating recognition of of some of who this country still really, really is during that time. A reckoning that needed to happen and probably keeps needing to happen, but the film's role in all that, the role as artists, as parents, as human beings, it's just so much wrapped into one. Again, that like art imitating life thing that happened to you both last year is astounding on multiple levels. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Totally. Did you find uh, the reception of the movie after, you know, when it was out and everything that was going on in the world, was it seen in the context or were people 
able to say like, even outside of the context of all of that, this is like a really good drama about human beings because that's the thing that's amazing about it, I think. What do you think about that, Neil? Because I, I, I have, you know, tunnel vision. Okay, so <laughs> my experience is, is interesting because, you know, first people didn't know what Juneteenth was, but I personally felt there was a attempt to categorize the film as just a pageant movie early on. Mm-hmm. And ah. it was being compared to, well, there are other pageant films. Like, I've seen this before. There's pageant films. Like pageant. the Little Miss Sunshine sort right. of, yeah. Right, and what I thought was so fascinating to me is that, well, wait a minute, if you know what Juneteenth is, uh, and if you can think about Juneteenth and this idea of delayed freedom and not you know, having a chance, like good news coming too late, and all these themes of what Juneteenth is, and then you look at it in the context of the story, this very personal story about a mother trying to correct like a past in, in her own life for her daughter. I'm like, this, this to me resonates in a way that I think is very profound. It's why I wanted to make this movie and what was so fascinating, just to, you know, to talk about it, when I'd look at certain reviews even early on, there are some folks who got it and they would just go on and on and on about how, whoa, this history and that and how it resonates. And other reviewers who are like, I mean, yeah, it's like a pageant film. And like some of the performances <laughs> did, but like, cool, yeah, like it's a pageant movie, like not that big a deal. And so it was fascinating <laughs> then, to when the movie came out and people know what Juneteenth is, mm-hmm. like people are like, oh, wait, there's some more here. And even now still, like people are like, wait a minute, but that performance echoes this theme. It's like, oh, and it's like, yeah, this is what this is what we're saying. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for, you know, continuing to engage with the material. We appreciate it. And I mean, the film really just mirrors like conversations that have been happening in the community for, for years. You know, it, it wasn't like we made the film post, <laughs> you know, everything that was happening. Yeah. Um, I, as a writer, you know, I might have mentioned this earlier, but I write from inside out just I think because I, you know, initially came to this work as an actor, you know, so everything, even from me going in the room to block out a scene, I have to walk through all the, <laughs> the blocking. And um, I think, you know, even my naturalistic style of directing actors is informed by that inside out approach. So, um, yeah, these conversations in the film had been happening for as long as I can remember. And I think the thing, just piggyback, is like there's a, because those conversations were happening outside of even us, like we were connected to the people who for the last 20 years have been putting on the Miss Juneteenth pageant in Fort Worth or the man who has the Miss June or the Juneteenth museum in Fort Worth where we shot. There was, there were people actually committing their lives to Mm -hmm. Juneteenth and to telling these stories. So we felt this responsibility of, Hey, like, you know, even if everyone doesn't get it today, there are a bunch of people who do get it over here and in pockets in New York and in pockets in Philadelphia and in pockets in LA. And those people hopefully will continue to keep talking and keep having conversations. And maybe over time, this film can be something that people come together and talk about, but they'll, you know, hopefully there'll be more films and more stories. So that was kind of another responsibility. I think that we kind of, you know, were. that's a really, really good point that this film was worth making regardless of what would happen to it, because that sustains you, right? When it looks challenging, like you have a baby on set or like things like that. Mm-hmm. Like this film was worth making, regardless of Sundance, regardless of to you for many reasons, but also to many communities and just f- to inform people in general. That is a really good point because a lot of times, as a movie, like the the, the reason to make it is because, like, hey, maybe it'll be a fun movie to watch, right? Like that, <laughs> and then that, but and that's fine. But it's like there's a difference when you have to put it all on the line. Mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Totally. 
I'm so grateful to you both for taking this long to talk about all of it. Um, I, I hope more people see it, continue to see it, and I'm excited to see what happens as you develop the content further and continue to get it out there and see what you do next. But um, this was great. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. And I, I'd be remiss if I did not give a shout out to No Film School because I will let you know that throughout film school and after film school, and even now, I still am reading No Film School and looking I at love no film the, the different breakdowns <laughs> or like the, the breakdowns of how filmmakers came in and, and thought about their films. I think one of the biggest things I've learned in this journey, especially with this film, it took a, a while. I started, you know, imagining what if I was this filmmaker who had this problem on set, this being described in this interview, like would I have thought to solve it that way? Would I have done differently? So I think that, you know, no film school is just a wonderful resource. So thank you. Uh, honored to be. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Thanks to Channing and Neil for coming on. Uh, this was a really enjoyable interview for me um, and a unique one. And I'm really glad that we got to talk about the impact the film has for them personally, but also the potential impact it had on the world and the people who've experienced it. Um, there's so much tied up into this. How do you have relationships and lead your life and do things that matter and also try to make movies try to make movies that matter that you care about and see them through to completion. I'll be really excited to see what they do next, as I'm sure a lot of people are. Uh, be sure to check out all kinds of great stories about the world of filmmaking, filmmaking news, tools you can use, tech that's coming out at nofilmschool.com. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a comment and let us know what you think. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.